Welcome to this week's episode of Combinations, a podcast from North Staffordshire Combined Healthcare NHS Trust. For this episode, we're going to focus on suicide um, and how can we raise awareness of suicide and also particularly some fairly innovative work that the Trust is doing around providing suicide awareness training. Uh, and I'm here with uh, Felicity and Phil. Um, and uh, perhaps just to kick us off, if you'd like to just introduce yourself and explain what you do in the Trust. So I'm uh, Felicity and I am the Assistant Psychologist in the Community Learning Disability Team. Um, so I work predominantly, predominantly in the community with, with people with learning disability. Okay, and I'm Phil, I'm a community nurse and I work with the duty team uh, at Broome Street. If you want to explain to somebody, so, so I've heard of learning disabilities but I don't really understand what it is. So a learning disability is, is uh, defined by an IQ of 70 or below. And, uh, and a significant impairment in social functioning. And that would usually have been prevalent from 18 or before. So in, in the developmental period, those kind of de deficits, so intellectual and social deficits are pre prevalent before the age of 18. And that would usually kind of be the, the diagnosis yeah. terms that would, well, the diagnosis criteria that would need to be met for somebody to have a learning disability. It's not, it's got a lot of uh, physical health comorbidities. Um, and it's a global developmental delay. So people can have deficits in specific areas, but that does not mean you've got a learning disability. It means you've probably got a learning difficulty. And that's the difference. And uh, unfortunately, those two terms have become interchangeable, mm -hmm. especially in America, where they, they talk of learning difficulties when they mean learning disabilities. Or sometimes they'll talk about learning disabilities when they mean learning difficulty. So a learning difficulty will be a deficit in ability in a specific area. So Dyslexia yeah. could be classed as a learning difficulty, whereas a learning disability is a global developmental delay that affects all parts of a person's function. In that context, mm -hmm. so um, what services do you provide and, and how do you support people with learning disabilities? Well, we provide psychiatry, yeah. we provide community nursing, we provide occupational therapy, physiotherapy, uh, speech and language, and... Psychology. And psychology. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we're a multidisciplinary approach, multidisciplinary team. We work within people's homes or within residential support services, or people can come here and, yeah. and have assessments and interventions here. Uh, we also have another base at Dragon Square in Newcastle, which we use. Really, we, we use the resources that, we, we, yeah. that are available to us. So whether that's somebody's home, whether that's uh, a resource centre somewhere nearby, um, whether that the day services that people attend, we, we try and be as flexible as possible to meet the person's needs. Um, suicide, what's, what's your insight in, in, into suicide and, and its prevalence in, in the UK? I think talking specifically around our client group, so in the learning disability community team, uh, suicide and self-harm risk in general is under-researched, so the figures around how prevalent it is is, is really unknown. The risk factors associated with, with suicide, um, things like social isolation, feeling helpless, um, not knowing support numbers, not having uh, support networks available, are actually really, really high in our, in our client group. So with people with learning disability are often quite isolated, they often need support with communication, they need support and um, kind of seeking external support and help um, so those kind of risk factors with our client group are really really high um, but in terms of prevalence of, of suicide within learning disability it's quite unknown really yes. and they're, they're obviously more vulnerable and they're, 
to uh, bullies and uh, violence, so there's, they're more likely to have traumatic experiences. And we read a piece of research recently around suicide figures that specifically excluded people with a learning disability from the figures. We, without any explanation as to why that was, but obviously that would skew any figures around uh, as trying to assess how many people, how much more vulnerable people with a learning disability are. Right, and, and so do you think that they're possibly excluded from the from the figures because they would sort of skew the results yeah, if you like. That's right, yeah. And I think the difficulty is, um, in terms of kind of confirming a case of, of suicide, is that expression of intent. Was there an intent there? And with our client group, it's really difficult for them to communicate their needs. Um, so they're, they're kind of an opportunity, I suppose, to express intent um, to end their life might be much more restricted than, than other members of the population and therefore they're that case specifically yes. might not conclude to be suicide when it, when it is suicide. So again, those figures are really, really skewed. People learning disability are much less likely to leave a note yes, because of the, the literacy problems that they experience. And it, it can often be seen as accidental because it's assumed that... Uh, we saw, we read another story, a study that said that people with learning disability were less likely to commit suicide because they didn't have such deep feelings as other people mm. and that gives you an idea of just how under-researched it is and how much prejudice is out there and these aren't uh, really old studies they're relatively recent studies right now so I want to come on to, 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 to suicide awareness and suicide particularly suicide awareness training you actually went on some training that, that, that's sort of generic if you like isn't it that, that, you know generic suicide awareness yeah. training was, it, was that for health professionals and primarily or was it across the trust or? it was across the trust for health professionals yeah. I suppose initially the training talked about emotional distress in general and it spoke about the need to build a therapeutic relationship and be compassionate around that emotional distress. Um, it, it highlighted risk factors associated yeah. with self-harm and suicide. It talked about um, an evidence-based way of assessing those risks um, so that there was consistency for people accessing the services around how that risk was assessed. And it provided resources around interventions that targeted the, those risk factors that it highlighted. What are the risk factors associated with suicide? Uh, I mean, it looks at lots a broad range of things. Um, things like hopelessness, it looks at, it focuses a lot on that. It looks at suicide ideation, so whether someone's thinking about how often people are having thoughts around ending their life or, or harming themselves. It looks about around the intensity of those thoughts, whether somebody's made plans around those thoughts, whether somebody has the means to carry out the plans that they are. How easy they find it to resist those thoughts, how likely they are to act on those thoughts. And that, that gives you a, a pretty reasonable grounding onto the, the various criteria right. that they're looking at. Okay, and that's and, and, and was it training you to be aware as health professionals of what to look out for and how to how to diagnose or something? Is that, is so, that not the right word? Yeah, so it basically the training was to help clinicians to assess this specific risk around self-harm and suicide in an evidence-based and consistent way. So previous risk assessments look at... Um, suicide and self-harm risk as, as a tick box whether so do, do you experience any su suicidal ideation yes or no give us a little bit more detail around that 
The, the difference with the connecting with people training is that it looked at those things within a continuum. So it looked at whether somebody had suicidal ideation or, or self-harm thoughts um, and, and kind of how often those were occurring on a day-to-day -day basis to show the fluidity within that. Right, okay. And, and, and did you think that was, a, that was a particular strength of the training? Did that make Definitely. sense? Definitely. Oh, and then a resources that matched that assessment. So they, they flowed seamlessly in from one to the other. So that you came out with a, a comprehensive plan to help somebody manage their own emotional regulation. I think the difficulty is with, with suicidal ideation or thoughts of self-harm is that when they occur, somebody's in such a state of emotional distress and they feel that that's what they need to do to cope with that distress or an escape in a situation. Um, the continuum, rather than a, a check yes or no, allows people to see that actually those thoughts, thoughts are more fluid they're not concrete, they can come and go, so they can be really intense at times, but other times they feel that they can resist them more so, and that fluidity within that continuum helps people to see that not only are they having those thoughts, they've had those thoughts previously and they've, they've kind of flowed in and out, um, and can help them to kind of, I suppose, see progress yes, for the that's, future. That's, that's a really important point, is being able to measure your progress and being able to see visually that you can that your suicidal ideation may change and may reduce with the resources that have been provided. Mm. So, so what were the resources? What, what, what tools were they? Oh, so basically they, they're a set of intervention tools, I suppose intervention guidance for clinicians uh, to look at somebody's internal resources, so their own coping mechanisms, whether they've kind of had those thoughts in the past, what things they've done, what were helpful, what contacts they had, what support they had at those times, um, what distractive mechanisms they have, so they look at that from an internal point of view from, from the client that's presenting with these thoughts. And then they look at that more systemically. So they look at what services are available from the community, from third sector organisations that they can contact, who can they use to kind of offload this emotional distress, where can they go? Um, emergency. Emergency. Yeah. So what can they do when those feelings are so intense that they're very, very difficult to resist at that time? So where can they go to, to get instant help? Mm. And then those longer term strategies to manage their, that suicidal ideation. So one of the <coughs> concepts, like Phil's just talked about there, one of the concepts that Connecting With People introduces is something called the Bank of Hope. And it's uh, the principle is that the, the client, you work together with the client to build up a, a kind of a bank of hope that they can refer to at a time of, of really low mood or really high emotional distress. So that hope is, is gathered up and stored for the time that they need it. So again, it could be internal hope, so things that they feel motivates them to stay alive really, motivates themselves to keep themselves safe, strengths that they have uh, that they can look back on at a time when they're feeling really low and, and really um, kind of at risk. It looks at emergency hope, yeah. so things like photos of loved ones, positive quotes, um, environmental factors, so things like moving medication, for example, into somewhere where they have to pass a photo of a loved one, a positive quote, a locked cupboard, so that it gives them the opportunity to break that suicidal ideation, break that chain of thoughts, and offer them a little bit of an extra safety period. Now, the obviously, as I understand it, that when as you were doing the training yourselves, it was, it was, it was becoming 
apparent to you that there were some there were some particular additional strengths, if you like, or additional things you could put into this training that would make it particularly uh, relevant to, to yourselves and your, your client group. Do you want to say a little bit a little bit about that? Yeah, and and we recognise that as the, the facilitators acknowledged that as good as the resources are and as good as the assessment it is, uh, as good as the assessment was, it doesn't, it's not a very accessible tool and that uh, there were limitations to the, to the, to the people who could use it, uh, and most specifically our of clients. And that's where we began to look at the easy read, visual aids, anything to break it down to its simplest form so that the most so it became accessible to the most people. And then we also began to recognise that this would also be a useful resource for other groups, children, people with other cognitive impairments, people who are in such emotional distress that they can no longer think clearly and that uh, and who can think clearly when you're in that frame of mind so that would allow them to access that tool very simply and very easily i think the the the, the training is fabulous it's evidence-based it, pro it provides assessment and intervention tools that can be used by clinicians consistently and is based on research around the risk factors, what's been helpful, what's not helpful. Uh, the difficulty is it's, it is quite complex. So for example, the Bank of Hope, it's quite a difficult concept. Um, so like Phil said, what we did is, is we worked on kind of adapting those complex uh, concepts, I suppose, the language that it uses, simplifying that down, adding in visual aids to support that simplification, um, adding in more practical um, responses. So for example, with the Bank of Hope and the emergency hope that we've talked about around photos of loved ones, what we've done is, is go to the, the client, our service users' homes and look at what emergency hope could be put in place to allow that additional support for people that, that probably struggle at that time, well anybody really, yeah. to struggle to think logically at that time around practical strategy, strategies that they could put in place that would maybe distract them or break that chain of thought at that time of heightened emotional distress. Well, we adapted it and then we took it to the uh, connecting we, for follow-up we have, we have a connecting with people forum which we meet monthly and we would take that our adapted tool we showed uh, the people who had also attended the training and went to the to the forums and they gave us further suggestions they showed us where it could be refined a little bit more and then they also gave us some that, that, that valuable feedback and they saw the value in that resource and how it could be used within different disciplines within combined healthcare. And the service users that we've been using it with have been heavily involved in adapting it because they're the ones that are using it so they, they help guide us to see what's helpful, what needs a little bit more clarification, what needs further, further kind of visual support, what needs to be simplified a little bit more and we've been working alongside service users with the tool um, assessment and intervention tools to help guide kind of any adaptation so that it can be accessed by, by our, our service yeah. user group and like fills in potentially further than that. And with one simple caveat that whatever adaptions we made to it, it would always retain the integrity of the original material. How long did it take you? How long did you work on it? 
it took us quite a while. Yeah. It took us a, few, a couple of months. Yeah, we, we finished the training in November, I think, last mm. year. Um, and we, we worked on adaptations pretty much straight away. Yeah. Um, and then I think we were able to, to get to a stage where we could use it with our service users around February, March time. Yeah, that would be about right. And again, four months of yeah. working, yeah. working with service users and refining it and yeah. bringing it to the group. And yeah. And, and when time allowed, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, along with the capacity. <laughs> <laughs> and what's been the reaction? What's been the reaction to from your service users? Well, the the service users who've used it have found it really, really useful. We have seen some uh, really quick gains from someone who's felt safer after just two weeks of interventions, just from the emergency hope that we put in place. Fantastic. Now, listen, there's another aspect of this, isn't there? Because um, as I understand it, just last week you were down. Was it down in London? When you go it down? was. You were down presenting in front of the Health Service Journal. I understand we, we've made the shortlist, haven't we, for for a HSJ award this year? We do, have. Do you, want to, do you want to tell me a little bit about that? So myself, Felicity, and Dr. Ruth Richards went down and met with the panel for the HSJ awards. Uh, Ruth was invaluable, and we we were glad that she came with us. And we presented our idea to the panel. And uh, we were grilled quite yeah. closely, weren't we? They stopped us mid-presentation because they had so many questions that they wanted to ask. And we all, they also allowed us to overrun due to the number of questions they had to, that they asked us. I think one of the things for me presenting with, with uh, Phil and Ruth was the passion and the confidence that they talked about the adapted tool with and, and how valuable it is currently within our service user group but the potential that the tool has for for wider client groups because it is so it's it's such an under-researched area i mean we've got such hopes and um future plans for evaluating the tool in a lot more depth um but what we wanted to do is kind of broadcast that the positive adaptations that we've made and start to highlight some of the the significant you know changes it's made to our to our service users get a recognition that this to make it because we've made it accessible to as many people as possible we're saving people's lives and that's what it comes down to it, it, it sounds a little bit melodramatic but that's the fundamental essence of it and we, if we can save more people's lives by making it more accessible then that's what its purpose is yeah and I think one of the, the hit home messages, I suppose, from the presentation on Thursday um, was that, like Phil said, previous research has excluded people with learning disability from any, any research around suicide or self-harm, and our tool actually allows them to be included within the effective evidence-based um, in assessment and intervention tools that are out there. So it, it, it just kind of broad highlights inclusion, yes. doesn't it, yeah. really? The, the assessment and the the, uh, the plan, the resources are inclusive. They are collaborative pieces of work. So what's what's the what's the um what's the next stage? Where do where do you want to take it next? Or well, what's I your mean, plans? Well, ideally, uh, with further training for the trust and kind of other uh, supports like kind of Stoke on Trent Council and Royal uh, University of Stoke. Uh, we're going to widen this training so there's going to be a train the trainer scheme where this training can be that the, the assessment and intervention tools can be used much wider than than our yeah. current and this will trust. this the the connecting with people's 
uh, SAFE tool will become the standard suicide assessment tool for combined healthcare. And then for us then, I suppose, from that evidence-based point of view, we would be looking to see how effective it's been across the trust with our uh, service user group specifically. But if it is, well, well like it, it is accessible for other groups, it is accessible for children or individuals in heightened emotion, ex, uh, emotional distress or individuals with literacy deficits, we'd be looking to see how effective it's been within those different client groups and, and kind of getting some figures to support that as well, to broaden the evidence base around connecting with people's tool, but also our adapted version of that tool within our specific service user group. How does it feel? If you say, you know, I came to work today and by the end of the day, I'd saved somebody's life. How does that, how does that feel if you realise that? Uh, you've really put me on the spot now. I have no answer to that. To give you, to, to use the example of the, the service user who is only on their second week of uh, the, using the, the, the SAFE tool, to go the first week and him to disclose the amount of suicidal ideation he had and the frequency of it and the intensity of it and the fact that he'd got a workable plan and then with putting in the emergency hope, using that compassionate collaborative approach and then going back the next week to find that his suicidal, his suicidal ideation had reduced and he was more hopeful and he was more positive and he could see a future, that is a very, very satisfying feeling. It's very uh, it's rewarding. rewarding, yes. I think for me, it's the, the collaborative approach that these assessment and intervention tools allow. I think that it's about empowering somebody to, to see the fluidity in those thoughts and highlighting times that they've coped with, with you know, adverse experiences and really, really challenging emotions and allowing them to, to be involved in putting those coping mechanisms and emergency hope in place that enables you to feel that you've, you do it together. It's not something that you've, you've done for somebody else. You've worked with that person to help them to keep themselves safe. They've identified their own solutions and the things that have worked in the past that have kept them alive. Which, which of itself probably means it's more likely that, that, that it'll be successful. Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, <laughs> what better way to end a podcast on uh, Mental Health Awareness Week by explaining how you can raise your awareness about uh, suicide and how to deal with it and how to support people, particularly within uh, you know, an, uh, an under-researched area. Yeah. So how, thank you very, very much. How to save lives. It's, it does it saves lives. Brilliant. Thanks very much. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks.